Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Bully Sportsman Show. Today, I got three months of the finest Minnesotan outdoor content to show you and give to you. Uh, you know, we go all the way from Big Zone, you know, right on the South Dakota border, uh, fish a tournament there to pheasant hunting and ice fishing already. So, you know, we're talking from September, mid-September to now, which is it's almost Christmas. Um, thank you for understanding. It's been a crazy semester at college. Uh, I attend college at St. Cloud State, took 17 credits this semester, and I quickly realized, hey, I can't keep up with, you know, 17 credits worth of homework and keep fishing and keep the podcast going. So I kind of had to pick, like, I'm sure you guys appreciate it if I have some good content for you when I do kind of come back rather than put out subpar content because I'm not actually, I'm not actually out there doing what I, I really like to do, you know. That would just be boring. It'd be me talking about things I wish I was doing, but I'm not, so... <laughs> hope you guys understand that but today we got we got a ton to go through and i'm really trying to keep it down because this could easily be a three-hour podcast episode but we're gonna try to keep it down i got everything kind of listed out to help me remember what exactly i did and what's going on you know before we get any further let me give a huge shout out to relevant today's sponsor of the podcast Relevance are awesome that's what i call them i call them my relevance because they are always on top of my hat anytime i'm outside they're huge uh, you have the chameleon technology in the lenses that adjust the tint level based on the uv conditions outside meaning it's cloudy outside it's gonna decrease the tint so you can see clear but you still get the effects of polarization anytime you wear them so i was out musky fishing this fall and it was right after sunset so super dark and I could see down in the water. We were sucker fish, and I could see down in the water at the sucker better with my sunglasses on than without them. And this was, I'm talking like super low light conditions. And obviously, when it's dark, you can't see anything anyway. So I had them on way later than any of my buddies had their sunglasses on. You want to know why? They didn't have relevance with chameleon technology. But the answer is simple. All right. The cure is simple for this issue. Go to relevant.life and pick yourself up a pair and use code Welly at checkout for 10% off your purchases. It's officially Ice Expo season as well. So if you see their booth at any of the Ice Expos in your area, they usually run pretty good deals uh, in sales. So pick yourself up a pair. I don't care if you use my promo code or not. Just get them on your face. They're life changers, man. Tell you what. So, of course, the only way to kick off this episode with content is to obviously, obviously talk about the absolute awesome trip me and Ryan had out on Big Stone fishing the SATT state team tournament. We were there a day early. We got got to the lake, and it was my first time ever fishing Big Stone, seeing it, anything. It is literally a giant, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's a fairly straight lake, like really slim, really long. I want to say it's like 10, 20 miles long, like a huge lake. It'll take you probably an hour run to get from one side to the other. And of course, we launch in the far south side of the lake. So to get to the north side, it takes a fast boat and it takes a little bit of time. So we kind of had ruled that out with the tournament coming up. Uh, Ryan's boat tops out at about 30, 40 miles an hour, and especially with big stone there's rocks so you got to make sure you're taking the right path you got to make sure you're not hitting rocks and you got to be fast you have to have a good draw number luckily for us this is a state team tournament so our entire we had three boats from the saber storm fishing team that were out there competing one of the boats was number six for day number one and they had a fast boat so they sent, went up to the north side but i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because we i didn't even talk about the pre-fishing day we had we started on the South Dakota side of the lake, and it didn't take us too long to hook up. Hook up. Ryan had just got a brand new Bass X, a brand new reel, and I was like, hey, let me try that. And he had a chatterbait on there, and I was whipping around like, hey, this is really nice. You know, I'm brand new St. Croix Bass X rod, brand new reel. Like, this is a good combo. And I hook into one of the biggest drums, the biggest drum I've ever caught, the biggest drum I've ever seen, uh, a freshwater drum. I'm pretty sure it was a sheep head. I'm confident those are the exact same fish just like a slang um and it, this thing was massive and he was brute he was bulldogging me and it was great because i uh, i broke in ryan's rod for him really good like i didn't break it but i broke it in for him you know like you gotta break in shoes oh well, i broke in his rod on a giant giant drum <laughs> and uh 
you know, maybe a hundred or, or so yards down the bank. Again, I hooked into the biggest bass I've ever caught in my life. I hooked into a five pound, 12 ounce largemouth with a spinnerbait, which is ironic because I hate spinnerbaits. If anyone would ever ask me, spinnerbait or chatterbait, I would always say chatterbait. And this water was kind of stained. So I went with the spinnerbait because it would provide that thump as well as the flash, maybe a little bit better than the chatterbait. Ryan was whipping around a chatterbait pretty consistently. I started with a spinnerbait. And this bass just, boom, he knocked it from behind, slacked my line up a little bit. And I, you know, I've been fishing for a while. So I know knocking slack in my line is a telltale sign that there's a fish that just whacked the crap out of my spinnerbait. So I slammed the hook. And I'm like, Ryan, it's a big one. It's a big one. I'm like, it might be another drum. It was fighting just like that giant drum I had just caught. And this fish, I tell you what, I had my biggest rod. This was my, I call it my broomstick rod, uh, 7-1, the longest fishing bass fishing rod I own, medium heavy, which is not horribly heavy for a lot of people's standards. But for me, this is my biggest rod. And this fish bent bent that rod right over, and I was fighting him by the boat, and he was digging by the boat, and I don't have a drag. I have my drag all the way locked down, so he's just digging, digging, trying to trying to get some little slack, you know, and he never found it because that rod was bowed over pretty damn good. St. Croix Bass X. Awesome. Did a great job landing that fish and Ryan got net that fish and you know we brought it in. And we're like, holy crap, like this is a giant fish. And I'm like, I was just sitting there like shocked. Like I'm like, this is almost a six pound fish. I guarantee you. We got him on the scale. Five pound 12 ounce. And that was pre-fishing. So as happy as we were, we weren't happy because we knew that fish wouldn't bite tomorrow. It maybe had a chance to bite the next day, if we're lucky. I was just stoked. I caught my PB. We just fished this lake. We were on our first spot, and I'm like, wow. They called Big Stone the land of the giants, and so far that was ringing true. I just caught a massive drum and my PB largemouth within a couple casts of each other. I was in awe. What a day. And we went on, and we caught a couple more fish throughout the day. Uh, we ended up with a 23 or 24-pound bag for our biggest five of the day. Many over, like, high three-pound class fish, which for any day around here, it would be an absolute banger of a day on the water. But here's the kicker. We caught another five-pound fish, five-pound largemouth out of that lake a little later that day. Ryan's dad caught him because we were pre-fishing, so he could fish. Just we were not ready what the rest of the tournament was we were losing our mind because this is easily the most weight we have pulled in on a single day of fishing together sorry if you can hear Lacey. she's having a little little sleep tear you know dogs are a little growling when they're sleeping that's what she's doing she's right next to me but wow what a great day of fishing we come out for the tournament the next day high was it a high pressure system a cold front yep that would do it a high pressure system was moving in. There was almost no wind the next day. Everybody struggled. Uh, a couple of our teammates did run in some four-pound class fish, but Ryan and I, we did not have our best day in the water. I think we contributed four fish out of the 15 total that we could keep uh, or weigh in, and it wasn't a great day for us in the water. We come back the next day. The high front, the high front, um, the cold front had kind of passed, and it was a little windier. And we had another pretty good day on the water. Not quite as good as the first day. Nothing beat that first day on the water. But I did hook into a five-pound, nine-ounce largemouth uh, with a spinnerbait, of course. My least favorite bass fishing lure of all time, probably. <laughs> and I hook into another, another toad of a bass that would easily beat my previous uh, PB of five pounds, four ounces. So I caught two fish that would have beat my previous PB before going to Big Stone wow uh what a, what a day and that was my last that was my last high school fishing event that i will ever fish um it's crazy to think about where i've come me and ryan we've been fishing these tournaments together since i was a freshman in high school he was in eighth grade and you know four years of fishing was together with someone i think three full seasons it's tough it's tough to walk away from that and it was great because we had traveled the state successfully chasing bass and it was an absolute wild ride uh you know we went all the way up to vermilion we went down to big stone and everywhere in between it was a wild ride and thank you saber storm fishing team for giving me that opportunity to go out there and give me a platform to fish on you know without them 
I would just be, you know, the weekend warrior, just fishing away. And I probably wouldn't even got to bass fishing as much as I did. Uh, you know, me, I was born and raised a walleye fisherman. And the main reason I really got after bass fishing was for these tournaments. Um, so huge success there and beyond blessed to have the opportunity to do that. I know there was a lot of sacrifices that were made uh, to get me out there, to get us out there, a lot of time and effort. And, you know, we went out there and we lived it up. I plan on fishing college, uh, bass fishing, and I actually had a couple offers earlier this fall to go out to Arkansas and Missouri for a week or two, and I just, I had to decline. I couldn't miss that much school. I was losing my mind, pretty much drowning, you know, uh, drowning in homework. It was a crazy difference from high school to college, but I will get out there and I will fish college tournaments at some point, promise you that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it, just traveling the country instead of the state. It's going to be a wild ride, and I can't wait for it. So I wanted to add a little bit more information on what me and Ryan were fishing on Big Stone. It's a huge lake. You can do about anything. But primarily, we were beating banks. Uh, we were finding the banks that didn't have too much overgrown weeds. And what we were doing is we were chucking moving baits through them and actually the winners of these tournaments were using finesse baits or finesse ear baits and what we were using we were power fishing something we had barely ever done in all of our time fishing together and a lot of these people they were catching them on on big jigs you know and tube jigs and just slowly dragging them and we tried that the first day when we were pre-fishing and we didn't have any luck doing it so it was really surprising to see that people were having success doing something we didn't but we were smacking them with the spinnerbaits and chatterbaits the pre-fishing day, and we were just beating banks, you know, trying to run our spinnerbaits and chatterbaits just by the weed clumps that were holding these fish. And we found quite a bit of success doing that. Uh, if I were to fish a tournament over again, I don't think there would have been anything that would have drawn me to use a jig or a tube jig or something of that nature over what we were doing. It seemed to be working, and everything that we had found had been leading us to hey, this is what we're, what's working, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to waste time doing anything kind of finesse Um In hindsight, did it cost us a tournament? I don't know. You know, these, some of these teams that were out there had been pre-fishing it for weeks. They had more time out there, more knowledge, and they probably fished in the past. I'm happy with how we did. I don't really care about how we finish as a team. I think we got – I couldn't even tell you. It didn't matter to me. I didn't pay attention. Um I just knew we didn't win it, and I'm cool with whatever. And, you know, it doesn't bother me. You know, some people, it would really irk them to not know that they won. I personally do not care. So, this leads us into our next segment, Dock Sunfish. So, early fall and mid-fall, you know, before you start chasing walleyes out deep in the, in the deep basins and all that, deep drops, you can find sunfish push shallow, almost like they're getting ready to spawn, but they're not. They're just, you know, I'm not entirely sure what they're doing there. The weeds are starting to die because it's starting to get cold. Um, and I think what that does is it lets out an excess of plankton and kind of the smaller bugs that were hiding in those weeds once. And now the sunfish and crappies kind of feed on them. There's a lot of good days we've had out there chasing these sunfish up shallow. And uh, you get to the right fishery and you can have a heyday. Um, we had some pretty good luck. I probably went out for four or five trips with my dad. And of course, Lacey, she was a, were there with us and we had a, a quite a bit of fun. We chased the sunfish around and had some pretty good days, you know, catch our limit, cook them up, invite my brothers over and their families and just have a little fish fry together as a family. It was fun. It was awesome. And of course, I had just alluded to fishing walleyes out deep in the fall, which is easily one of my favorite things to do. Uh, jigging walleyes in the fall will always hold a special place in my heart you are talking 40 to 60 feet of water sometimes even deeper and you're just going up these steep cliff-like banks and what these these walleyes are doing is they're they have their heads up because as these perch will fall off these flats you know they're waiting right there just smack them bow and that's how they're feeding this time of year so they have their heads up so when you have a jig and you're on top of that flat and you start going down that flat and all of a sudden, you hear, you feel the slightest little tink. That's a walleye. He just grabbed your jig. You got to set the hook. And when you're pulling him out of that deep water, you have to reel obnoxiously slow unless it's a big fish. 
which you can usually tell pretty good. Okay, this is a 17-inch walleye-ish. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it the beans because this is gonna be an eater. We're keeping them. This is not a time, absolutely not a time to be throwing back fish. Like catch and release fishing is a no-go here. You do catch a couple little ones, but for the most part, if you fish real slow enough, like I'm talking barely putting any tension in your line, you can get those fish back down. And now a lot of people will question the ethics of fishing like this and putting those fish back in the water. And if you ask me, if their swim bladder is not in their mouth, in their gills, anything like that, you're okay to put them back. Now, I know a lot of people will uh, fizz them. They'll put a needle in their kind of sternum area if a fish had the same anatomy as we did. And they will pop that swim bladder so it can equalize the pressure and get those fish back down. There have been a couple uh, scientific studies that on that kind of technique, but I haven't found any results or data on those uh, on those studies. So until then, when I see those fish swim away and I don't see them floating anytime soon, you know, when I'm out there days in a row, I feel confident that I did the right thing and those fish are down there swimming and growing. And we've been doing this for years out there. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to do it too. And we haven't killed the fishery. You know, the fishery is still producing fish. And obviously those fish that we're putting back that are in good condition, if they're in bad condition, of course, we're keeping them. But those fish that we are putting back are going and living and growing. And then we'll catch them again when they're 17 inches and we'll keep them. And uh, they're delicious. <laughs> they are delicious. Oh, all right. Next on the list, something that came out of left field is I bought a bow. Uh, I bought a bow from one of the guys I work concrete with. He was selling it. It was a Hoyt Charger, eight years old, good condition. And I always throw around, around the idea of buying and owning a bow. So I got this bow, I'd say middle to late September. And it was huge because I, what I did is I took my sweet time learning how to shoot this bow. And I only shot with people that could give me the best kind of insight on how my form was looking, what I need to change, what the good form does. And I took my sweet time because I did not want to rush in to shooting this whole bow, trying to hunt this fall and develop bad habits because that will kill you as an archer. You develop bad habits and you go to pull draw back on a deer and those bad habits kick in and you miss or you worse yet, you wounded deer, which is absolutely my worst fear. And that's why I didn't hunt this year with my bow. I will spend the next nine months of my of my summer spring whatever practicing with my bow before i even think about taking out in the field i need to know that i can shoot way better than anyone i need to know i can shoot like a dot i want to know I, I, it's a bad comparison i i should be able to shoot a shotgun shell box at 40 yards easily i don't want to be past that i need to know i can hit a heart i have groupings the size of a heart at 40 yards I need to know I'm lethal before I even think about shooting a deer. And just because of that fear and that nightmare of wounding a deer is so prevalent inside of me. And I have never wounded a deer and been unable to recover it. But I will be damned if buying a bow is going to lead to me doing that. So for that reason, I took my sweet time learning. My form is down. And right now, it's just a matter of repetition and getting better. So I'm really happy with my progress of shooting bow. And I talked with Austin Besser and Brian Amundsen. They kind of coached me through the process and helped me out quite a bit. And I am very confident that by next fall, I will be able to get out with the bow and shoot you know, a couple whitetail. And this is going to be huge because my family's growing. You know, my, my brother and sister-in-law just had another son. We have more mouths to feed as a family, so we need more deer. Uh, this year we are, we harvested five deer, and honestly, I don't know if it's gonna be quite enough for what we would like. Uh, we would like six or seven, and I know I know a lot of people are like, "Whoa, whoa! How many times are you eating venison a week?" The answer is like five or six. Every meal that we eat meat with is venison. Um, we'll mix half beef, half venison into our hamburger. Everything we eat the hamburger is part venison. You know, brats, sausages, hot dogs, summer sausage. We eat a ton of venison, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Not to mention, this bow is my gateway to western hunting. I've talked about this before and how I want to get out there. Guns are expensive. Ammo is expensive. I, 
who knows with legislation going on right now, if I'll even be able to own a bolt action hunting rifle in the near future. And I know some of you guys think, well, that's a little extreme. It's not. Do you see what they did in Canada? All semi-automatic guns, including semi-automatic shotguns, which a lot of people use for duck hunting, uh, pheasant hunting, turkey hunting, banned. We are not that far away from that kind of thing happening. And I would hate to spend a large portion of my savings account, checking account, whatever, for a gun that's going to get banned in the next couple of years. And it's like, well, there goes, you know, a thousand bucks, another 1500 for the scope. Oh, there it goes right down the toilet. Um, so I need to be really careful about how I'm doing this. But uh, this is a gateway to get out of the West. You have a really long season with elk um, out West muleys. Just that bow season is always a lot longer. So it'll lead to more flexibility for me getting out there. I can kind of pick and choose what works best with my college schedule and make trips out there. I want to get out there this um, this fall with Brian Amundsen. Dude's a hammer. I think he shot two muleys this year. And I want to say he did go elk hunting, but he was unsuccessful. Um, but I can't wait to get out there. Uh, it's been a dream of mine for a while now to to get out there and, and harvest an elk. Elk isn't my number one. I want to go shoot an elk in the worst way. And I know it's going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of trial and error. It's going to be expensive, but it's a gateway out there. It really is with these longer seasons too. So once I get a couple whitetail under my under my belt, I would be more than confident to go out there and, and chase some of those elk uh, with my bull. Next on the docket, we got musky fishing. I went musky fishing quite a bit this year. I spent some quality time with Xavier Grief, also known as Musky Boy Zave. That's what I call him, Musky Boy Zave. And uh, we went out earlier this summer, and we were casting out deep, and we spent some quality time, got our butts kicked by the wind and the water and the waves, came back soaked. It was a tough go at it. We had one follow or two follows, and I talked about that in a previous episode, but I also went with Zave twice this uh, two weekends this fall. And honestly, I love musky fishing. But these frustrating days just, oh, like I put in quite a few hours this year uh, with, with musky fishing and sacrificed quite a bit of time. And I didn't get a musky. And that makes me want one next year all the more. And the worst part is I'm going to Alaska. So it's going to be two years before I can even get it back out in the summer for muskies. You know, next fall, I could probably get back out there. But as far as summers are concerned, <laughs> I'm a little SOL for the next two years. Um, Just how that goes, man. Just nothing you can do about it. It's how that how that goes. But I, I really enjoy musky fishing. And I went with Zave, I want to say mid-October. And it was tough. We had three follows all day. We had a musky uh, that attacked two times. You got to see him eat twice. First time he came up, smash him. Boom. Just vicious. Giant musky. Probably mid to high 40s. Wow. What an experience just seeing them eat. And it was so windy that day that the only way you saw the fish was when the waves were coming back up. So you know how like the wave kind of flows up when that wave would come up, you'd be able to see through the wave at the fish. And that was the only way you'd be able to see that fish wild. Uh, but we got to see him eat twice and I did not get hooks in them. The line snapped. Uh, I had first dibs on the sucker rig rod and you know, it would have been really awesome to land that fish, but I was just happy to be out there, and it makes me want one all the more. Then I went a little later in October. I think it was the first weekend of November, actually, with Ryan. You guys know Ryan. I uh, do a ton with him. Bass fishing with him for a couple years. I talked about him earlier in this podcast. This was his first time musky fishing, and it was wild. We had so much action just with a lack of fish wanting to eat. And you could allude that to the lunar phases. You could allude that the front's coming in. That was a tough trip. You know, we went out for a full day and then a half day. And uh, in that time, we had a three-hour follow. We had a musky follow our sucker for three hours before he ate. And then Ryan went up there. You know, he set the hook. He had hooks, drove into him, and then the hooks popped out. I was heartbreak because we spent all minor, which is the period where you're most likely to, to catch one of those fish and eat them the bite. We spent all minor with that fish following us to finally have him eat two and a half hours, three hours. Oh, and he got away. 
it hurts. I tell you what. And that is by far the longest follow that Zave, Musky Boy Zave, who had been musky fishing for about as long as I've been doing anything else outdoors, had ever seen a fish follow. Which is crazy for how much time he spends out there. He's never seen something like that. Just an absolute, like, screwed with your mind kind of day. <laughs> it was it was a ride, I tell you what. Woo! Next up on the docket, we got deer hunting. So, deer hunting this year was pretty dang fun. Uh, I had a good time. I always have a good time. It's deer hunting. What's there not to love? Uh, me and my old man, also known as my dad. I call him my old man. Uh, you probably hear me refer to him as that a couple times. I know some people don't like it. They think it's disrespectful. Um, it's okay. My dad does not take it the wrong way. Uh, this is what me and my brothers call him. We've called him that for a while. It's more or less a nickname than it is anything else. So uh, just clarifying that right now. And for you guys that do know me personally and know my dad, you know, like, you know what I mean? He doesn't care. Uh, he's one of the most easygoing people, you know, especially when it comes to hunting and fishing. He loves it like I do. So we really click on that on that basis. And I've been more than blessed to have him by my side uh, with most of these adventures. So uh, me and my old man, we hunted the early antlerless deer hunt which in minnesota is most shotgun zones so you could go out over the youth hunt which is mea weekend and you can uh go shoot an antlerless deer so a doe at uh you can shoot a doe at that time so originally this was brought by when they started the youth hunt so that dads could go with their kids and could you know shoot a doe while their kids are hunting for bucks so this gets more kids out in the woods because you know let's say the guy down the street, he he's not really a big deer hunter, but oh, now he can go out and sit with his kid and have a chance to shoot a deer himself. Like, it just gets more kids in the woods. And I know a lot of people don't like the youth hunt. I'm not one of those people. I'm all for it. This is a dying sport, and we need more youth involved. Um, so I'm all for the youth hunt. And I know a lot of people just get worried about with really good deer management comes a lot of responsibilities. And a wounded deer is the last thing you want to see. But I trust that a lot of these kids and, and fathers and maybe even mothers are getting their kids out only when they're ready, uh, taking ethical shots and showing them the right way to kind of go about this whole deer hunting business. Uh, I believe there is a right and a wrong way. And just getting those kids exposed in the right way is huge. So the first day of the early antlerless hunt, it was Thursday. Yeah, that sounds right. Thursday or Friday. Um, and... My dad was sitting up in the corner stand of the property that we were hunting in, and the neighboring property is a gravel pit. So they were working right away in the morning, and they were actually sorting rocks. So they were taking big dump trucks and excavators and dumping these rocks into the sifter almost, and it was causing a ton of noise, and it was closer to my dad than it was me. I was a couple hundred yards away from my dad at the time, and it was pretty dang loud down in my swamp. It was even louder for him. So he ended up making the switch, and he moved away uh, to a different stand, which is about 100 yards in the opposite direction. So if you imagine a line, my dad's at the top of that line, I'm in the middle of it, and he moved to the other side of the of the line. So straight behind me instead of straight in front of me. And, uh, you know, I, I saw some deer. I'm trying to recall how this went. It, it was a, li a little while ago. But I saw some deer moving in the woods in front of me, <clears throat> and it was a doe and two fawns. And I'm like, sweet, like if they come down to my swamp, I'm going to have a good shot. But they didn't. Uh, they went about 100 yards away, which is too far from my shotgun and slug. And they walked like straight to my dad. Along the way, the excavator dropped another bucket full of rocks into the rock sorter. And those, the doe and two fawns, bolted. They bolted right to my dad. And by the time my dad had, had seen him, got his gun. The only shot he had on the doe was a headshot uh, from behind, which is not a horribly ethical shot. So he didn't take it. Uh, a little later that evening, those same deer, we're presuming it, those same deer came back out of the woods they went into. And uh, my dad shot the doe. It was a, I'm trying to think of where he shot it. It was a spine shot. I remember that because um, he dropped it. He thought he hit it good in the heart and, you know, Put its head back up and, and was flailing around so we took it uh took one more shot to kind of put it out of its of his misery per se and that's you know an ethical way to do that 
uh, just dispatch the animal as quickly as possible. It's it's a bad situation all the way around, but um, you got to do what you got to do to end the suffering of that animal. So it's exactly what you did. The next day, I shot my doe, and it was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, it was Saturday, I believe. Friday or Saturday, one of the two, but there was almost no work going on in the gravel pit in the neighboring property. So I was, it was quiet. It was good. It was a little, little bad because, uh, is it raining? It wasn't raining that day. Nope. Uh, I'm trying to, I'll get a little, some days mixed up with regular season and early animal season, but we're sitting or I'm sitting and, and straight in front of me, there's a hill, a wooded hill. And I see a doe or two deer. I can, I can't tell what they were. I see two deer kind of just trotting along this hill and I'm like, oh, well, they're too far. Obviously, it's like 200 yards. I'm like, hopefully they kind of swing back into the swamp and take this game trail that comes like right by my stand. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, they come down actually where I shot my first buck all by myself. They take the exact same trail down there. And it was awesome because this fawn came through and it was like a tiny little fawn. It was just the cutest little thing in the world. And he was going along or she was, I don't know what it was. Uh, you can't tell when they're fawns and just chilling out, eating the grass, eating some of the leaves just cool. And the doe came from behind it. It was eating some of the leaves and dropping them down and all that. And the, the, the doe had cleared, cleared the, uh, the tree that it was eating on. And that was like my prime shooting window. It's about a 30 yard broad, broadside shot. I took the shot right in the bread basket. Perfect shot. That deer ran about 10 yards away from me and turned back to look at me broadside. And I was expecting to see it collapse or to see blood flowing from its lungs and heart area. I didn't see that. So I racked another shell and I shot again. And it turns out that I had also spined my deer. Um, so my gun was off, which um, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But I had dropped that deer right there with the second shot. So I ran up there because I was like, no way. Like, how did I miss that first shot? How did I miss that second shot? Of course, I let it die a little bit. I waited like 10, 15 minutes, but I was so excited to see what had happened with that shot because I did not see any blood from that first shot, which was mind boggling to me. That should not have happened like that. Just crazy that I would miss such an easy gimme shot. Just, it blew my mind. That's, uh, I can't put it into words like that anymore. It blew my mind. So I get up there and I found out that I had spined this deer. It was not alive. I had hit it high enough in the neck where it just killed it instantly. Uh, about the best way to go, but unintentionally. You know, you got to think if my gun was off down and left instead of up and right, that would have been a gun to shot at deer and that would have been my worst fear coming to fruition. So I'm extremely blessed that a deer came in the way it did and that that deer um, presented me with that second follow-up shot. And that was our early antlers hunt. But after that, I sighted in my gun once more. Uh, I sighted in when I first got it. It had been a couple years. I don't know what changed, but actually the big buck I shot last year did the same thing where I was aiming for the lungs and it went high and right since spine. It went up in the neck, which wild that it happened on two different deer. But now I'm like, okay, something's wrong with the way my gun sighted in. <laughs> this is not good. So I took care of it. I sighted it in. I put 18 rounds for my shotgun absolutely destroyed my shoulder but i am much more confident in my shot and as i'm about to tell you it worked um all the time and, and pain that went into sighting in my 12 gauge shotgun uh, came to fruition on the first opening morning of regular season it was about 9 a.m and it was a, it wasn't horribly cold but it was windy if i recall correctly and it was just one of those where you kind of sit and hunker in and just kind of chill out. There's no actively looking. It was just trying to not have the wind beat across your ears and, and make it all cold, you know. And uh, I was sitting there and I hear this snap, a twig snap to my left, which is a telltale sign, you know. from some, For something that someone doesn't hunt, that's like the hugest, biggest giveaway that there's something moving in the woods, which I'm sure is common sense to most people, but... um. Yeah, I, I hear this twig snap and I turn my head as slow as can be and I see this buck in these tiny little saplings, this little sapling field it's behind me to the left. And I'm like, oh my goodness, because we are only harvesting bucks this year. So I'm like, this is huge. Not only did I see a deer, but it's a buck and it's in shooting range and all that. And 
you know, I kind of swivel my butt over. I'm in this tiny little ladder stand, and I swivel my butt over so I can kind of get a better look at what's going on. That deer has no idea I'm there, and he is vigorously rubbing these little saplings. And just, I'm talking like breaking these saplings with the way he's rubbing them, <laughs> rubbing up on them. And, uh, you know, I pull up my gun and I'm like, I could make this shot right now, but there are just too many saplings where the slightest little error would mean a missed deer. And that's about the last thing we want when we need deer uh, for our family. So I wait and lucky enough when I had cleared out the brush for my stand, I'd cleared out a giant uh, buckthorn patch that was right behind my stand. And it was huge because I ended up shooting right where that buckthorn was earlier, just a couple months before. Uh, you know, if I had not have cleared out that buckthorn, there's no chance I probably would have ever seen that deer, let alone got a shot at it. So uh, this deer comes in on my trail that I walk in to take my stand, and it is 180 degrees behind me. So I am in this tiny ladder stand, so I stand up on this tiny little platform, and as this deer ducks his head behind the tree that's right behind me, so not the tree my stand's on, but there's another tree behind me, I swivel up, and I swing my right, right leg around, and I'm facing right behind me. I pull up my gun. And as soon as he hits the trail I'm on, I'm going, bam, boom, and I shot right away. And I wanted just enough for him to stop and pause for a second. I didn't give him the time of day to stop. I knew that was going to stop him. And I shot, and I saw the blood flowing as he was running away. And I'm like, that is what I'm talking about. That is not a gimme shot, but I executed it perfectly. And I watched that deer die about 40 yards up the hill. What a rush. If you can't tell, I'm excited. This is, this is awesome. Like I love retelling the stories of crazy events. Like that was such a tough shot to make and I executed it flawlessly. And it just makes me so happy that the years of deer hunting that I've had and all the experiences that have kind of come with me along the way, help prepare me for that shot. And this is a uh, seven point, you know, he was a, he was a four by four by three, um, as some people would call it. And I just kind of got gypped on the one point. He easily could have been an eight, but one of his points came in a little shallow. So it's not really a point. And uh, it was a nice, nice deer, good body, uh, awesome genetics. If I would have let him grow two or three more years, he definitely would have been a trophy class buck. Um, but, you know, where I hunt, you don't do that. You don't let bucks walk uh, unless it's a tiny little spike. You just you don't because if you don't, the next person will. And there's a lot of hunters in this area. So you got to take what you're given, and that's exactly what I did, and awesome. Uh, my dad walked down. He was only 100 yards away from me, and he heard me shoot and text him, like, hey, we got a, we got a dead buck up the hill. You want to come help me? And uh, so he held the legs, and I, I gutted it, and it was funny enough. We were getting – I'd cut the throat, and I was getting ready to, to get dig in, you know, and, and do the hard work <laughs> of gutting the deer, and uh, – I hear boom, 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 and it was actually my brother, only another couple hundred yards away from us, shooting at a fork. Uh, so as me and Dad were walking up to this buck, it must have pushed this fork up past my brother, and my brother, it was a, it wasn't a gimme shot because he was kind of doing a little trot, but this deer paused long enough, and it was close enough where it should have been a dead deer. So we get to give him a little crap about that every time we go out hunting now. Um, but yeah. Uh, my brother missed that one as we were kind of walking up to to my buck, um, but that's all the action. That's all the action we had um, for that first weekend, and that was the only deer we had in the hanging cooler uh, for the week. And me and my dad had put in a couple more days in that week. We had that my dad hunted four days during the week, and I hunted three, just because I had uh, I, I was able to take a couple days off from school, uh, like Wednesday. I only had one class because my other one was canceled, so it's easy. I, I talked to that one professor. They're more than fine with me leaving. So I didn't show up for class that day. And then I have every Friday off. So I was able to hunt that Wednesday, Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which is awesome. I, you know, I liked deer hunting. And uh, the last day of the season, my dad had a buck run past him. And <laughs> my dad unloaded his gun on this deer. Uh, he shot at it five times. It was kind of doing a little trot. And he shot at it five times. And the crazy old man, he hit it four times. He he was shooting pretty good that day. Um, me personally, I, I've never shot that many times at a deer, but whatever gets him down, I suppose. And lucky enough, he actually, he put it, he put one, one in the guts, which wasn't very cool. Uh, one in the heart, 
and two in the neck. And then two in the neck were like almost the exact same spot. So, you know, it was a clean ethical kill. That deer died in no time. And we had two bucks laying down on the ground. So that was kind of the wrap up of our deer hunting season. Uh, me and my dad each had two deer. And uh, yeah, that was that was awesome. That was a fun time. I love deer hunting. It's great. Alrighty, next up, pheasant hunting. So right after deer hunting, it's usually prime time to get out for pheasant, pheasants. Uh, usually there's some snow on the ground. This year there wasn't uh, very much. But, you know, it's it's starting to get to that time, starting to cool down a little bit. And pretty soon those cattails will have been freezing over. And that's uh, a good time to get after pheasants right after the cattails have frozen over when you can get on them too. Because the problem you run into is pheasants don't need very much ice to walk around, as I'm sure you could know. They're tiny little birds. But as soon as you can get in the cattails and chase them, it changes the game. But fortunately for us, this was pre-all ice. So the roosters were not in the cattails with water, and I couldn't get in there as well. So I wasn't really messing out. But Lacey had been making huge strides up until this point on being a great pheasant dog. And this story is no exception. She showed a next-level determination and insight on what her future could look like. I'm trying to find the right word to describe it. But I'm extremely pleased with her progress so far, and I really look forward to how she can do in the future. So this was a cold day after deer hunting, which deer hunting this year was actually quite nice. It was, you know, 20 degrees, 30 degrees, 40 degrees, almost every day. So pretty nice. But this day we went pheasant hunting was 10 degrees and windy. And I'm talking ripping winds. No one was outside doing anything that day, but, uh, me and my crazy old man, we went out pheasant hunting. So um, we had got hunted this whole property. It was all public land. And uh, we had got about done. And we were taking the backside of the swamp back to the parking lot where the truck was. And uh, we were going along. And we were about halfway down the side of the swamp. And my dad had seen this bird. And he was he's, there's a little, tiny little bit of snow on the ground. And he could—he was tracking this bird, and he could see tracks on it, and he found it. It was right in these branches of this fallen-down tree. And he couldn't tell what it was, but he knew exactly where that bird was. So he took another step towards it, and it flushed. And he goes, hen, hen, hen. And so I don't pull up my gun. He doesn't pull up his gun. None of that. Um, and as it's flying right in front of me, it's a rooster. I'm like, what are you doing, crazy old man? So I pull up, and I had one good shot with opportunity, and I whiffed it. Uh, clean miss and i'm like what are you doing that was a rooster <laughs> he's like oh i couldn't tell i'm like usually you just say like bird if if you can't tell then leave it to me to kind of see what it is since it's flying like right in front of me but had he said rooster or even just bird i probably would have pulled my gun up a little bit quicker and maybe got another shot off and i'm not blaming my miss on my dad one bit it's just how that goes but as we keep going down the side of the swamp um we keep seeing more and more tracks, more tracks than we'd ever seen on the entire piece of property. And this is a pretty big piece of property. And there were buku birds all the way down in this pasture, the farmer's pasture that, that borders this piece of property. And, uh, you know, a lot of the state property around here does have farmer borders on it. Uh, it was actually a field. So not too special. I'm not giving away a spot. Uh, there's all this private public property around this area is surrounded by farmland and all that so just you know i'm not hot spotting one bit but as we get down to the very end of the swamp uh swamp line and woodland kind of mix on the far side of the swamp or the back side of the swamp that's not a very good way to describe it on the back side of the swamp as we get like all the way down you can see these tracks these birds are running away from us so they can hear us coming and as soon as we get to the last 50 40 yards there's all these fallen down trees and as me and Lacey get to them all these birds just come rushing out of this backside of these trees and it's too far for me to shoot but it's close enough where I can see every single bird uh there are about 12 birds that came out of those out of those fallen down trees there were four roosters and about eight hens and they were just pushing out and so me and Lacey were running like I am running 
keep in mind i haven't played a sport in like six months so i'm out of shape but i am running through the backside of this swamp trying to catch up to these birds and they get up on the on the road and there's some that are right before the road and some that are on the far side of the road and i can hunt on the far side of the road just the same and this is a dirt road and so i get to the top of this road and i'm trying to pick apart where i had seen these roosters land i'm like there should be one here one there one there and maybe one back here so i get to the other side of this road and lacy is losing her mind because there is so much pheasant scent in the air she's about as bad off as you could be because she doesn't know what to go where to go anything so i get to the top of the road and i look in the ditch on the far side of the road and there's a rooster sitting right in the ditch and i'm like hey lazy come on come on i wanted her to flush it so she could flush it have me shoot it and retrieve it but she was so focused on some other scent probably 20 yards from me she didn't care she did not listen to me one bit which is cool to see that she was so invested in this little cattail patch but i was a little frustrated because i wanted her to kick up these roosters so I shoot this rooster in the ditch. He's, I ground pound him. I hit him actually right in the head. I'd later find out, which is perfect because I didn't waste any meat, no BBs in the meat whatsoever. It was awesome. I drop down in the ditch. It's a pretty steep ditch. I drop down, pick up this bird, put it in my vest, and I'm right behind Lacey. And she actually, I lost her during this time. And she was actually 50 to 70 yards down the line. And I had no idea where she was. But I know that whole cattle patch on the far side of the road is holding birds whether it be hens roosters i don't know but i can look up on the ice of these cattails because there's a little bit of ice at that time on that section but on the back side of the swamp where we just come from there was none uh, and you could see some of the birds uh on the ice on the far side of the cattails funny enough and they were all hens so i get down to where lacy's at and she's on point she's a Lacey is a black lab. She is not supposed to do that. She should be flushing them like crazy, but she's on point looking at this hen. So I get him ice. And she jumps up there and flushes this hen. And she gets another scent, gets up to this bird, and I can see it's a hen. And I go, get a lace. And she jumps up there and flushes again. And we do this about three or four more times. And uh, until we get to the side of the road where we'd come from, we ran that once or twice more. Uh, but as we were going back on the site, I could see tracks and a little bit of snow we had of this rooster, which I'm assuming was a rooster because of this reason. Um, Lacey had followed the scent trail of these tracks into the cattails, and I had actually lost her for a while. I couldn't see her. I couldn't hear her, and I was getting slightly worried because this is a huge cattail field, and if she's following this rooster, who knows how far it couldn't be good for her because if she gets stuck there's no chance i could get it in there and get her and get her out so i was kind of getting nervous and about 50 60 yards away in these cattails i see a rooster flush and i see little lacy's head poke out after this rooster and i'm like what like she's all the way down there she tracked that bird and i'm guessing that bird was running i'm guessing he was running and she was chasing after him and finally got him to flush Unfortunately, I was unable to make a shot. Obviously, it's way too far away. And Lacey came back running, you know, smiling, you know, as dogs do. <laughs> and uh, she got right beside me, and I was like, good girl, but you scared me there for a second. And uh, we make it a little further down the line, and we flush up another, he he another hen. And uh, that was the extent of our action that day. But it was crazy to see all those birds flush out the backside and to see her kind of really get after because her going on point on a bird was unseen until this point and she did great and then uh you know later that week we had some frigid temperatures you know that 10 degree day was not an anomaly and we had ice by november 20th and the ice fishing was as good as ever uh we had a ton of really good walleyes to start the year and you know, i'm talking five, six iced walleyes in evening. So morning and evening, prime time shifts. Uh, you'd have 20, 20 over, or six over 20 inch walleyes you'd catch. I mean, you only keep one, you know, but just super nice, healthy, huge little walleyes, you know. I'm talking 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 inch walleyes. So much fun. You know, fishing, oof, I can't even tell you how deep of water but it was just crazy you know we're talking each me and my, my old man we'd each ice you know 10 10 12 walleyes 
a prime time shift for the first couple days. And then we had a warm front come in and that ruined our ice. Uh, we had enough, barely enough ice to get out there. And that warm weather that got above freezing just absolutely ruined it. That ice later refroze in following weekend. And we got out there and the fishing just wasn't quite the same. But luckily for us, ice fishing for sunfish was not too far away. But at, during that warm spell, when the ice was melting, I took Lacey back out pheasant hunting. And uh, I don't remember the reason. I think it was Friday, so I don't I don't have class on Fridays. Um, we were working the backside of the same property, the same public property. And we were all the way in the back, and we were by these willows. And Lacey was, you know, we were working it just like normal, but she kind of locked onto something in the willows, and I didn't see it. And she kind of ran towards it. And about 10 yards away from where she was running, a rooster got up, and these are some thick willows. So as soon as it got to the top of these willows, I have pulled up on it. As soon as it gets to the top, I shoot once, drop it, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'd shot great. It was picture perfect. Lacey got after it, and this is a really big willow patch. So I am sprinting to the other side of this willow patch because that's where the bird landed. And I get to the other side, and there, this bird is nowhere to be found. And I'm like, there is no cattails or no, like, canary grass, nothing like that on the ground. This should be the easiest bird recovery in the world. So I'm actually looking in the willows to see if it landed in the willow somewhere and got hung up in a tree. And it didn't. And meanwhile, at this time, Lacey is in some cattails about 30 yards away from me, just digging in. And I was very frustrated. I'm like, Lacey, that bird's not over here. Oh, not over there. We got we to gotta look over here. Like, this is where this bird's at. And as it turns out, I do a couple laps around this whole willow patch and she's still in those cattails. And I'm like, that's got to be where the bird's at. I even called my dad. I'm like, I can't find this bird. Lacey's in the cattails. Like, I can't get her on the scent. Like, he's like, okay, let me back up a little bit. I, I, got, I get too excited telling these stories. Um, but I'm doing laps around these willows and I can't find anything on this bird. No feathers, nothing. And I know I stone cold dropped this thing. And I call my dad and I'm like, hey, I'm doing laps around this willow patch. I dropped this bird. What do I do? My dad's been pheasant hunting a lot longer than I have. I'm fairly new to this board, actually. I only really started hunting by myself with Lacey. And she, up to this point, hasn't really been getting after too many birds. So I was a little lost there for a second. And he's like, what is Lacey doing? And I'm like, she's digging, <laughs> she's digging in these cattails like 20 yards away. He's like, that rooster probably ran into those cattails and she's chasing after him right now. And I get over there and I see, the, I see the rooster in these cattails and Lacey is digging in. And these cattails are too thick where she can't, she physically cannot get into these cattails. So I'm breaking down these cattails so she can get in, has a, a path in. And as she gets into these cattails, this rooster runs out the backside and she chases after it and she chases it another 20 yards through these cattails and she finally ends up getting it she brings it back to me like a good girl and i i feel, feel like an idiot because i doubted my dog and i at the same time i was so proud of her uh for tracking it the way she did um just like that like that's something last year she would have never done because she hadn't put two and two together but this season has been a huge exception she's been making huge strides and unfortunately the season ends in another say 11 days 12 days and we just have way too many we have way too much snow here we can't do a thing uh when it comes to pheasanting so my pheasant hunting season is effectively done because we got a foot of snow dropped on us whew, not too long ago but as far as pheasanting is concerned i hung up i hung up the chaps hung up the vest and it was one heck of a season i can't wait to see where Lacey takes it next year Woo! At this point, I can tell it's been a little bit since I did my last podcast episode. I am like 50 minutes into recording and my voice and throat is starting to get a little sore. But we are at the finish line, folks. We are almost there. This last section, ice fishing, is what we're doing right now. This started, this whole thing started a couple weeks ago, so there's not a whole lot to go over. But wow, has it been an incredible ice season so far. You know, we went out after walleyes after uh, the warm period, and the walleye fishing was never quite the same. We've been out, uh, got a couple here or there, but the sunfish, the sunfish have been going crazy so far this year before the full moon. 
And, you know, a lot of lakes, the full moon has a terrible effect on the sunfish, any fish. That's why when it comes to full moon, it's like you're sitting there scratching your head because it's like, I don't really want to go out fishing during a full moon because I know it's going to be bad. But I'd sure, I sure as heck don't want to sit at home. So it's a tough little break there. Uh, but usually I just decide to go fishing anyhow because, of course, a bad day of fishing is better than doing literally anything else. <laughs> so you know how it goes. But we've been having some really good sunfish bites going. And I've been, I was blessed. I caught a nine and three quarter inch sunfish uh, just last week. It's on my Instagram right now. And just awesome because it's been a while. It feels like it's been a long time since I've seen a sunfish that big. And I would have loved it if that fish would have broke 10 inches. But I'll take what I can get because a nine and three quarter, that's a pretty big sunfish. It was a big old female. Um, of course, we threw it back because we promote selective harvest here at Wally Sportsman Show. Throw back those big sunfish. They are huge for the fisheries. Um, if you keep those big sunfish, you're going to stunt the future, especially during spawn. Please do not go catch and keep big sunfish during the spawn. It is detrimental to, um, to lakes, fisheries, everything. I've done countless speeches, papers, and presentations, and uh, all scientific data backs up this this uh, notion that those big sunfish are essential to producing more big sunfish. So if you care about the longevity of your fishery, uh, please do yourself a favor and do the people who also fish that fishery a favor and spread the good word. Do not keep big sunfish, especially especially during spawn. Uh, I'm super passionate about this, and I might honestly make another Selective Harvest um, podcast episode again at some point. So that kind of wraps it up. Uh, we got a foot of snow dropped on us earlier last week, and what that has led to is terrible slush. I'm talking, you know, three three inches of water on top or underneath a foot of snow. So it has been horrendous to walk around, to fish in. I hate it so much. But we had a massive cold front come in. It is currently zero degrees outside, and that slush is now frozen. So what that means is our ice has successfully made a good recovery of a really bad situation. Because you got to think, if that slush would have never froze, that would have been it still is a lot of weight on top of that ice, and we probably never would have got out driving on this ice this season, uh, which would have been terrible because we still have another like two or three months of ice fishing. And that kind of detriment now would have led to, of course, a terrible season later on, just for the fact we can't drive on, just for the fact that we can't get where we want to go, and we're limited by how far we really want to walk in slush, which is terrible. You know, you walk 100 yards in slush, and you're sitting there at the end, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I just winded. Like, now, even when I was in shape, when I was in high school, doing sports, you get done with a 100-yard walk through slush, pulling a little sled. My goodness, does that take a lot out of you? It gets, it's, I'm just really glad we made a good recovery uh, with the slush. You know, the worst part about slush is not only dragging your sled out there, but dragging it back. Because when you're dragging it out there, it's picking up on the slush. So the slush is sticking to the bottom of your sled. And when you're pulling it back, all of that frozen slush is going through the, the new slush, like the wet slush. And it's just dragging you down. And it's the worst thing in the world. I hate it. And I was so close <laughs> this earlier this week. I was so close to saying, you know what? I am done ice fishing until the slush freezes, which which would it would have been no guarantee it ever would have happened. And I was so ready to hang up my ice fishing boots for the rest of the season because of the slush. I hate it. Um, me not ice fishing should say something about the conditions with the slush. But like I said, I'm just happy it's frozen now. Well, folks, we have successfully recapped everything, almost everything. <laughs> you can't, you can't, I can't talk about everything I've done, but almost everything I've done this fall so far. It is currently December 19th. Christmas is in six days, so Merry Christmas. I have the next three weeks off from college, so I'm going to get out there. I plan on fishing almost every day, and I plan on getting you guys out at least two more podcast episodes. Uh, I apologize. It's been a while since the last one, but uh, I hope you guys understand, and I hope you really appreciate this content. Just know I will never put out subpar content. It's always going to be the best. If I can't put out the best possible content I can, I'm not putting anything out at all. 
Uh, make sure you guys give the Instagram a follow at Worldly Sportsman Show. Keep you updated with everything I've got going on. I've posted countless times over the fall, so that would have been a good way to keep up with me during this fall. Um, but yeah, that is what we got for you today. And uh, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, that's some serious commitment because we are approaching an hour-long podcast episode. Uh, so with that, thank you so much for listening. I hope to hear. I hope you guys hear my voice again soon. Hope I get some more content for you. And uh, that's all I got for you. God bless. Merry Christmas. Thank mm-hmm. you.